Um, so I'm going to start by asking a few questions of my own yeah. and then opening it up to the audience. So if you could submit your questions by the, via the Wover app, that would be great. So yeah, uh, what are you spending most of your time on at the moment? Yeah, so um, time split between kind of three things. Uh, about a quarter of my time's on Global Priorities Institute work, both um, the academic research and uh, strategy, hiring, helping to grow the institute. About a quarter of my time on broader kind of EA issues, so help working with CEA in 80,000 hours um, and doing events like this. Uh, and then about the rest of the half of my time is prepping for work on a book. I'm going to start in earnest any, any day now. Um, uh, tentatively called What We Owe the Future. Uh, that's going to be the case for caring about the overwhelming importance of future generations, kind of like animal liberation, but for future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when will the book come out? <laughs> uh, so my plan is to write it over the next year, and then there's normally about a year delay, so mm-hmm. be looking at autumn 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and what sort of style is the book going to be? Should we expect it to be more academic or more for a generalist audience? Yeah, so it's with a trade publisher, um, but the kind of most serious nonfiction um, end of trade publishing. Mm-hmm. And so I am... There's a very narrow target of books, a number of books, a very small number of books that have managed to both be widely read by a general audience, yet also get widely academically cited. So uh, Animal Liberation is one example, um, The Road to Serfdom, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel, Where Nations Fail. And that's the kind of level I'm kind of aiming at. So it is a general book, but at the most kind of serious end. Mm-hmm. And how will this differ from Toby's book? Yeah, so it's quite um, it's aiming to be complementary. Uh, where Toby's book is, I think there's kind of two ways into the set of long-termist issues that we, uh, that long-termists in EA care about. One is just looking at the kind of uh, risks themselves mm-hmm. and thinking, wow, these are actually quite substantial, quite serious. Um, and saying, well, we should just take this on, you know, we are not paying enough attention to this as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't really need to appeal to the kind of very long run. And that's broadly the approach that Toby's taking, though he kind of mentions the long run too. Uh, the second is a more, I guess it's a more philosophical approach, which is from the first principles of future people matter, the overwhelming numbers of future people, uh, we can impact them. Uh, that's the kind of starting case. And then the second is this open question of, well, what should we do about that? Um, and then trying to go deep into both the various options we have for influencing the long run, both by extinction risk and trajectory change, and kind of crucial issues that might affect what we want to prioritize, such as issues in population ethics or whether the future will be good or the idea of kind of optimal timing. Mm-hmm. Mine will also be like a bit more on the academic end than Toby's is. Mm-hmm. Um, and what lessons will you take from doing good better that you'll build into this book, given that was more of a, for a generalist audience? Yeah, I mean, this move is one of the lessons, I think, where, I mean, I'm very happy with how things turned out with doing good better. Um, but if I were to go in any, if I were to rewrite it and were to go in any direction, it would maybe be a little bit more on the kind of serious versus pop end. Um, one thing I feel very happy with was we did, we spent like a lot of time kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's mm-hmm. um, to ensure that I mean, there's always this challenge of trying to represent this very big set of ideas and complex research in a precise way. And so the question I, two questions I always ask myself are, is the sentence literally true? And secondly, does it actually capture the big picture? Um, and if both of those things are okay, I feel comfortable. Whereas the idea of like, does it include every caveat or every um, nuance you're just not going to be able to capture? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we did um, a pretty good job in that and... Books come under some scrutiny over the last uh, 
the other two, and I'm pretty happy with how it stood up to that. Mm-hmm. Great. And in terms of one of your other projects, uh, the Global Priorities Institute, um, so what's gone well and what are the challenges you're facing there? Uh, great. So what's gone well, um, a few things. Uh, one is um, hiring and research in philosophy has gone very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the kind of caliber of the philosophers we have at GPI is just, I mean, I think if you're just, you know, not interested in effective altruism at all, but just interested in cutting edge moral philosophy, I think there are a few places that are better than the world to be than GPI. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty cool. Um, and so I think the quality of the search that's been coming out there over the last couple of years has been very high for them kind of academic perspective, and I think we've got uh, strong prospects to grow that too. Uh, the situation with economics is much slower, where at a senior level, so post-PhD, there's just quite a limited number of people who are seriously engaged with the ideas of effective altruism uh, or global priorities research, um, and would want to kind of dedicate their careers to that. There are some, and they're really excellent, like Rosa. Ava Vivolt is another example. Uh, but they're pretty thin on the ground in a quite, way that's actually quite striking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also not the case that the career incentives within economics are very well aligned with the sort of research topics that we're really interested in. So we have a big challenge there on trying to find the kind of intersection of the Venn diagram where uh, it's issues that we think are of top priority, but yet at the same time um, are the sort of thing that one can publish in top economics journals. Um, Something that's kind of reassuring is at the graduate level, uh, there's a lot of really top kind of graduate students who are very engaged with this. And so it might be the case that we can just have the same level of success in economics that we're having in philosophy, but perhaps it's, you know, a decade or two behind. Mm-hmm. And I guess it kind of points to what you're hoping for GPI sort of now and in the medium term is now just more to build the academic field. Are you hoping and, and how does that change over time? Yeah, I mean, GPI is a long-term play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, the impact it will have is measured over many decades or even years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's kind of three main aims or kind of paths to impact. Uh, one is uh, simply credibility, um, where if you look at the kind of history of field building, like um, uh, bioethics on one hand or cryonics and nanotech on the other, mm-hmm. uh, there seems to be a kind of big difference in terms of is there like mainstream academic buy-in with these ideas? And once the once the movement starts to get kind of, and you're seeing this with AI too, mm-hmm. so a lot of focus on trying to get the mainstream AI researchers kind of bought into these ideas, and it can be quite plastic to begin with, um, whether they are. And then once the ideas start to get more influential, do you get regarded and kind of branded as this like outside set of ideas, this kind of kook thing, or is it like no, this is something that the mainstream really cared about? So that's one thing. Um, second is uh, just kind of uh, spreading these ideas to next generation of students and so on. So many people in the audience, including myself, um, will have been very influenced by Peter Singer. Um, there's, you know, that's because famine affluence and morality gets taught <laughs> all around the world in mm-hmm. introductory courses. And so we want to provide that um, uh, that body of research and idea ideas that can help these ideas to continue and be spread to students uh, over the coming decades. And then uh, third is actually the value of the research itself, new crucial considerations, mm-hmm. uh, where, yeah, the idea is just by returning to the, fa- like the foundations of these ideas. And often these are, the, um, you know, there's lots of ideas, especially with respect to long-termism, that uh, 
float around and often have influence in the community and have kind of a couple blog posts um, mm -hmm. that are supporting them. And maybe they're good blog posts, but as we grow in resources, well, we want to make that as rigorous as possible. Where perhaps nine times out of ten, yep, the, the core insight was justified. But one time out of ten, it's not. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. And how have you found with the projects you've been doing, so research for the book and GPI, um, kind of your views over the last year, have they kind of materially changed? Or um, what, what would you say the highlights of, of those updates have been? Uh, yeah, so um, from the AMA I did, the one thing people keep coming up to me and asking me <laughs> about is this uh, comment on how my views have changed. Uh, so they've changed in a lot of ways. I'm not sure if I'll do a good job of summarizing. Uh, I definitely think... Yeah, I have much lower existential risk estimates for the century than I did um, a couple of years ago. Uh, I think one is just, I think, like, society is much more robust um, than people often think. So if you look at the case of a nuclear war, it's just extremely hard to see how that could kill everybody. Mm -hmm. um, like, something really weird would have to go on. And we should give some credence to really weird things happening, but uh, I haven't heard a kind of positive story where it kills literally everybody. Uh, and then a big thing has been um, kind of AI risk in the post-deep learning paradigm, where there was all of this research and ideas and discussion on AI risk. Um, Superintelligence comes out in 2014. But in a sense, it's kind of obsolete, like almost immediately, um, because there's this huge boom in deep learning. Mm -hmm. um, we get like a lot more information about what progress in AI actually looks like. Um, and there's very little attention... Uh, yeah, in superintelligence, in a way that's like totally fine, but just in the nature of the timing of it, there's only actually a few pages dedicated to deep learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's various reasons why the um, the sort of things you might be worried about um, look very different than uh, as is represented in superintelligence. Um, and there's a lot we can go into there. I, I'll flag that I've done a podcast on 80,000 hours mm -hmm. unedited it's like four and a half hours long yes. so hopefully I can um hopefully that I still feel yeah. like we did not actually like get as deep as into this as like would be ideal but um yeah there will be more to come on that <laughs> yeah to know I felt like that was an unfair question um to be like hey can you condense all of your views into five minutes but yes yeah, so yeah. the the podcast should be um should be should be good and that's coming out I think soon yeah so I mean yeah the broad thing is like I think I've now got like a flatter kind of distribution of concerns. So um, I still think work on AI and bio is super important. Um, I'm also really concerned by war, by totalitarianism, uh, by genetic human enhancement as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think I'm also just uh, take more seriously the idea of trajectory changes um, than I did before as well, um, in comparison to just pure extinction risk reduction. Mm -hmm. And in terms of um, sort of stabili stability, what kind of emphasis would you place on kind of great power cooperation um, being a priority area? Uh, great. Well, I think there's kind of two things. Um, one is the importance in the abstract, and then second is what should EA do? Mm -hmm. Where uh, in terms of importance in the abstract, I think um, if there weren't an EA community at all, I'd be maybe, I don't know, equally concerned about great power conflict in AI, maybe more concerned about great power conflict. Uh, I do think it's the case that you get increasing returns to scale um, as a result of 
EA focusing on particular areas. Mm -hmm. So with respect to great power conflict, like we don't really know what you would do to reduce that. Mm -hmm. Some people say, well, you could work on policy around hypersonic missiles, and that's potentially a lever, changes, uh, changes the game theory with respect to US and USSR. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we don't really know. We haven't really invested in it. Um, in contrast, for something like AI, there's now been just years and years of work to uh, mm -hmm. um, move them thinking this is a concern in general to uh, this is, you know, here are particular concrete things, like here's a research paradigm that you can operate on, both in the policy side and the technical AI safety side. Uh, and so that means, I think, with something like great power conflict, People should be going into it, but these should be like scouts, like the kind of the explorers, <laughs> um, rather than people who, who are like trying to figure out like how promising is it in terms of the landscape of things that one could be working on? Mm -hmm. Are there levers that actually could make a big difference that philanthropy as opposed to states like might pay more attention to? Uh, whereas if you're like, I just want to contribute directly, I'm not going to, you know, do the kind of scouting or exploration stage, uh, then because there are all these kind of benefits we get from kind of fixed investment, I think some of the focus areas we've already got um, are going to look more promising on the margin, at least mm -hmm. at the moment. Okay, great. And then to, to switch the tone somewhat to more of the EA community in general, uh, what have you been excited about that you've seen in terms of um, ideas, outputs, um, yeah, things happening in the community in the last year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it feels like there's been a bit of a, I feel like there's been a bit of a kind of intellectual renaissance in the mm -hmm. um, uh, community. Uh, the forum, I feel, is now like regularly getting very high quality posts. Mm -hmm. um, I've been enjoying uh, Rethink Priorities work. Mm -hmm. um, the series on uh, nuclear war, um, mm -hmm. I think, is really cool uh, by Lu Luisa Rodriguez. Uh, at GPI as well, I think there's a few, or in Oxford in general, there's like a, which I have more access to. Uh, there's a few lines of the search which are really cool. So Ben Garfinkel, mm -hmm. again, he's going to have a ATK podcast and you'll hear much more. Uh, doing real intellectual engagement with the arguments about AI risk and often uh, being more skeptical of some of them, I think is really excellent. Phil Trammell's work on optimal timing, I mm -hmm. think has been very powerful, um, potentially influenced me quite a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think the work that's happening at Open Philanthropy as well in terms of a worldview write-up mm -hmm. uh, is again very exciting where, again, that's trying to say like, you know, open fill are trying to say, well, we have these crazy views. <laughs> um, we think they're justified, mm -hmm. uh, you know, crazy views about what might happen, what ha might or is even likely to happen over the next hundred years. And then trying to really make that as rigorous as possible. And I think the sort of thing they're aiming for is like a 1200 page book or something that would yeah. <laughs> be the kind of open fill worldview. Um, and so I'm excited about that too. Mm -hmm. And I guess in terms of like putting worldviews uh, like writing things up, sharing things in, in the wider sense, as EA uh, grows as a community, um, how do you, how, is your, how have your views evolved on kind of like active outreach versus kind of organic kind of growth of the community? Oh, great. Um, yeah, I think... I think at the moment, organic growth is the thing that we want to focus on. So... Uh, there's a kind of view in Y Combinator, the kind of tech circles about, well, how do you build a company? Mm -hmm. And the first thing you do is you just try and make your product better and better and better. And you try and maximize the growth you can get. But the only way you're allowed to do that is by 
uh, improving your product. <laughs> and that's kind of how I think we should be thinking about EA at the moment, where the product is like the community, the set of ideas, the body of the search. Um, and sure, we want to be glowing as much as possible, mm -hmm. but um, we want to be doing that by making the community as great as it can be, improving its culture, norm, values, making the body of the search like very compelling, um, mm -hmm. uh, making the set of pathways on offer um, for having an impact as good as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we'll probably want to continue that focus for um, at least a few years more. Um, at some point, we'll want to switch into more heavy focus on growth. Um, but I think we're not kind of there yet. Yeah, and I guess you don't want value lock-in of something you're not quite sure of. Or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, you can... Effects Alton is still this kind of plastic thing. Like, maybe we've just made some, like, really long turn early on, and uh, yeah. it would be really bad. I don't know, like, look at environmentalists and their focus on, on attitudes to nuclear power or something, mm -hmm. where um, there's a kind of lock-in of um, negative attitudes to nuclear power. I think that's, like, a disastrous... Um, opinion for the environmentalists to have on environmentalist grounds. Mm -hmm. I think it's just very hard now for the environmentalist movement to change that association. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's similar things on, uh, uh, from effective altruism too. Mm -hmm. And obviously uh, there are growing EA institutes in, in academia. Are there other kind of disciplines that you see where EA could grow into more? So say over time in policy, we're not, we're not like super present right now. There are some orgs that are growing. Are there other places that you see EA could grow into? Yeah, so there's both the academic side and the kind of more real-world side. I think on the academic side, I'm like excited by quite a range. Um, so economics and philosophy has been GPI's focus, mm -hmm. but I can really see there being... There's tons of work I would want to see in at least po uh, political science, I guess like theory of policy, um, history, sociology, law... Um, probably other disciplines too. And some of these areas, there's now... So this stuff, Winter, for example, is starting to put together kind of legal priorities of the search agenda, which, again, quite exciting. Um, I've been trying to find, you know, like historians to work with, um, and that's been like particularly hard, I think. Uh, but there's, I think, potential to grow in many of these fields. And then from the more practical side, you know, think tanks and uh, more applied research, uh, yeah, I would... I think there seems to be some sort of anti-correlation between people's inclination to be interested in EA ideas and people's inclination to be interested in working in the messy and ugly world of policy and politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, And I think that means there's a big gap. I think it means that people who do want to enter that field are unusually valuable. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you were looking for historians. What, mm. specifically, um, what, what specific work would they be doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that I really want to look into is a set of case studies um, of long-run impact in the past. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the claim is, well, we want to focus on those things that will have very positive, very long-run influence, a natural skeptical response is like, well, could you have done that in the past? Mm -hmm. uh, I think when it comes to extinction, um, we do have evidence. So uh, the reason that there aren't armadillos the size of cars walking around South America is because humans hunted them to extinction 10,000 years ago. That's mm -hmm. an effect that's like 10,000 years old. Similarly for... I, just, I love talking about megafauna. Could really, <laughs> the rest of the talk could be about this. But it was like lizards that are four and a half meters long in Australia. That was 50,000 years ago we killed them off. Mm -hmm. Sloths that are four tons in um, South America, <laughs> again, killed them off. Ten, like, mm -hmm. the kind uh, of can we land have records of these by... What are our records of these? I guess creatures? fossil records. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, good question. Mm-hmm. But it's something like <laughs> something like seventy percent of megafauna got killed off by both climatic change and human action. Mm-hmm. So extinction, we've got these case studies. Um, but then, what about um, changes to values too? Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of examples that um, I have mentioned is uh, uh, moral attitudes in Christianity, um, of which there are many. But look at just sexual attitudes to kind of sexual norms in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, Attitudes to gay sex in Rome, in Greek life, was just, you know, very permissive. Something people did. Um, in fact, celebrated in many ways. Um, similarly in other religions, Hinduism. Uh, but not in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, still today, 70 countries um, being gay is illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least gay sex is illegal. Um, you know, Christianity has radically shaped the values that we take for granted today. Um, and so there's this question of like, well, supposing Christianity had never taken off in the way it had, how would values be different today? Mm-hmm. That's the sort of question that historians hate um, <laughs> uh, because it's a, it's a counterfactual question. Yeah. It's like, in a sense, ridiculously ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not claiming to know this. I'm just like, well, what are the, um, you know, what are the probability assignments you might make? Yeah. So that would be one example. The U.S. Constitution is another example of... Uh, it's a document that got written over three and a half months by 52 people arguing in a room um, over, and it's, you know, still has a huge influence today, um, mm-hmm. in a way that's very clear. So, you know, there seem to be this historical examples of lock-in, um, of values, mm-hmm. uh, that would help provide a, if that's the, if that is the case, if those examples are justified, um, then it suggests that, well, perhaps there are things that have, uh, lock-in that we should expect over the coming centuries. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And then to end on, um, Maybe a more positive note, but I think nonetheless a very important note. Uh, what have you done in terms of sort of self care this year, and um, what do you aim to do more of in the in the coming year? Uh, great, it's a good question. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like a couple of years ago, I made a quite conscious switch in terms of uh, maybe the pace that I was going to work at, moving mm-hmm. from like splinting to now thinking, okay, this is my whole career. Can I work for each year? <laughs> can I can I imagine like yeah, I would be like positively happy to work at that kind of level for the coming um 40 years mm-hmm. uh and so that means yeah i've taken a lot more holiday than i used to so i took six weeks of holiday mm-hmm. um including to i've gone now on two like long trips around india mm-hmm. which i particularly loved um i have a hobby um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i've like gotten into music again so i used to um uh it's really bad i'm not saying going <laughs> good um but yeah no so i've picked up my saxophone again i play that um uh, I've started trying to learn how to make electronic music as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually like, in some ways, not the best hobby because it's like you spend all day staring at computer screen and then you go home and you're like staring at computer screen again. Um, so that's been really important. I'm also placing a lot more weight than I used to on what are the things that I'm, in terms of like, what do I spend my time doing? Mm-hmm. What are the things that I'm particularly, well, there's all these things that seem to be correlated of like, what am I good at? What am I excited about? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where they have the biggest impact as well, especially now there's so many other people in the movement that can do other things. Um, and so, yeah, placing more weight on that, taking that more seriously. Um, and then the final thing is like having an attitude of self-compassion. So over the last year, I had some um, like, yeah, quite annoying kind of health issues with chronic migraines. Mm. Um, and that was definitely work in terms of not beating myself up too much because it was like two kind of one month periods where I couldn't work and especially it's like an invisible uh illness so very easy for your brain to be like come on you're just faking (laughs) um uh 
Whereas I feel like I did pretty well there on saying like, okay, well, this is just a fact now. It's something that's happened. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's the case that I'm just not able to work properly for an entire month, but that's okay. You've mm -hmm. got to be able to be able to like handle that and instead focus on improving that. So Yeah. Well, that sounds tough. Is that situation improved? It's improved a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, general bit of advice is definitely like, if you're the sort of person in this room, you're probably the sort of person who is really like able to handle reading a medical literature. Um, and I would advise doing that in addition to merely getting advice from your doctor because yeah. they have like five minutes to spend with you. Yeah. And they'll be like, sure, take topilomate. And then you look up the side effects of topilomate. It's like, oh, it lowers your IQ. Um, <laughs> you're like, wow, I wish someone had told me that. Um, uh, and whereas, you know, there's propanolol you could take, which has almost no side effects and mm -hmm. actually seems to have worked better for me. Um, and I found the same with that because I had, uh, chronic back pain as well a few years ago and again like I wasted a lot of time by just simply relying on the medical establishment whereas many of the yeah many of the issues that actually cause most kind of disability for uh people who are in the kind of 20 or 30 kind of age mm -hmm. are just quite personal relative so I'm thinking like depression back pain chronic pain um migraine is another example uh quite personal relative and like there's just a lot to be gained by trying to understand the current, mm -hmm. often poor state of the medical literature and then trying to figure out, well, what's exactly the problem that's affecting me now? Mm -hmm. um, and I've yeah, felt like that's been really good. Okay, great. Cool. Well, thanks very much. Please join me in giving a warm thanks to Will McCaskill. Thanks so much, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Simran Dhaliwal and Will McCaskill. Thank you very much. That brings us to lunch.